One of my favorite stories is told of an elderly lady who was very well known for her simple faith. In fact, she was well known for her boldness in talking about her faith. She would stand in the front porch and she would shout, Praise the Lord! Unfortunately, next door to her lived an atheist who would get so angry at her morning proclamations that he would also shout when she proclaimed, Praise the Lord! There ain't no Lord! Well, unfortunately, hard times set in on this elderly lady, and she prayed for God to send some assistance. She was, of course, very public in her calling for the Lord's help. So, so one morning, she stood on her porch and shouted, Praise the Lord! But God, I need food. I'm having a hard time. Please, Lord, send me some groceries. The next morning, the lady went out on her porch and noted a large bag of groceries there and shouted, Praise the Lord! When she made this proclamation, the neighbor jumped out from behind the bush and said, Aha! I told you there was no Lord. I bought these groceries. God didn't. At which point, the lady started jumping up and down and clapping her hands and saying, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! He not only sent me groceries, but he made the devil pay for them. Praise the Lord! You know, I love the simplicity of this woman's faith. It's something that many believers miss out on. It's something that we who have progressed in our spiritual journey forget. The simplicity of a faith that God commends. We often believe that faith is some deep belief that is beyond logical. Or we ascribe faith to an understanding and acceptance of some great mystery of the Bible. But if we read Scripture, we find that the expression of faith that Jesus himself commends is a childlike faith, a simple faith in him. It is this expression of faith that God looks for, God loves, and God longs for, especially in those who are lost, those who are sinners, those who are imperfect. What does this simple faith look like, and how can we emulate it so that the lost world can see what it takes to come to know Christ. We're going to take a look at this question this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled Imperfect, where we've been reminded that we are to reach out to the many who are imperfect so that they can be made perfect in Jesus Christ, just as we are imperfect, made perfect in Christ. What does simple faith look like and how do we cultivate it to show an unbelieving world? Let's take a look this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Verses 40 to 56, we want to encourage you to bring your own Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles or can't afford one, our church would be very happy to buy you a Bible. Luke chapter 8, the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, turn to chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Take a look with me at verse 40 as we begin. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Jesus was the most popular person and teacher of that time, and he had quite a following. Unfortunately, most of those who followed him were not there to listen to him speak. They were there to see the miracles that he would perform that authenticated his messages. They were there for the show. While he was returning home, the Bible tells us that he was met by someone. Who was he? Look at verse 41 and 42. 
And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. The Bible tells us that there was a Jewish religious leader named Jairus who approached Jesus and begged him to come to his house. The reason being that his only child, the 12-year-old daughter, was dying. Now we find out that Jairus was not some ordinary religious leader, but he was the head of the local synagogue, meaning he was the head of his local community. Now as I read these two verses, what strikes me is that for sure this man was very much prim and proper. He was the community leader. And I'm sure he'd probably heard and seen what Jesus could do but he never took the time to really approach him. But when his loved one was in trouble, when there was nothing he could do to save his only child, he completely dispenses with proper protocols in appealing to Jesus. Look at the words used to describe his desperation. Verse 41, he fell down at Jesus' feet. He begged him, please come to my house. Now, have you ever lost decorum and dispensed with proper protocol just to plead with someone? I doubt any of you have ever fallen at the feet of your traffic enforcer who's pulled you over and pleaded with them, please don't give me a ticket. Or I'm sure none of you have ever gone to your doctor who's treating yourself or your child, got on your knees, fell at their feet and said, please, please save me. Why don't we do that? Because even if we think about doing it, we would have second thoughts because we don't want to lose our dignity. Especially in our Asian culture, we want to keep our face. But have you ever wanted something so bad and knew that someone could offer it? Would you appeal to them by begging them to do it? Sometimes we're so afraid that even in our desperation, we will not sink to that level. You know, I offer this visual because oftentimes in the Christian walk, we don't have a simple faith that dispenses with proper protocol. We think that somehow there must be a certain way to pray or some certain way to address God or talk to Him, that there is a certain position we must be in to read the Bible. Sometimes we put up protocols for how Christians must act or respond. There there must be a way to dress, a look, that people must have before they come to church. The reality is, if you look at Scripture, there are no set protocols for coming to Jesus. Jesus simply wants us to come to Him in faith without pretension or protocol. You see, number one, if you're taking notes, we need to understand, number one, a simple faith knows no protocols. A simple faith knows no protocols. What type of protocols do we set up that prevent those who are lost from coming to Jesus? That is a question we as the church must ask. Do we place on them an expectation that they must somehow meet a certain standard before they can come to church and find Jesus? Do we expect them to dress a certain way? Do we expect them to speak a strange language called Christianese, if there was such a language, before we acknowledge their faith? Must they say, praise the Lord, or... Praise God, thank God all the time. 
if you are expressing a simple faith, you must dispense with so-called unbiblical protocols. Sometimes we put up so many rules of how we think God wants us to worship Him that it becomes mechanical. It then serves as a hindrance for us to get close to Him. I want you to note the last part of verse 42. The Bible tells us as Jesus agreed to go to the house of Jairus, the crowds thronged him. They were crowding around him all the time as they walked to the house. And the disciples must have formed a protective circle around Jesus, just like the U.S. Secret Service would do or the presidential security group would do as they encircled the president to push away the crowds who were pressing in. But in this chaotic scene of pushing and shoving, we see something else happen. Someone gets through, verse 43 to verse 44. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the borders of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. The Bible tells us, that a woman who had a medical condition, some sort of hemorrhaging, some sort of bleeding, although we don't know from where, had spent all of her money on doctors, but none of them could heal her. And so she was poor, she was destitute, and yet she was still sick. In her desperation, she joined the crowd that was pressing up to Jesus and somehow was able to get her hand to touch the outside part of his clothes and in the mere touching of Jesus' clothes, the Bible tells us that he, she was miraculously healed from her 12 years of infirmity. Now I want to stop here and admonish and uh, make clear what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is not teaching that somehow if you touch a relic or if you touch a statue or if you touch the clothes of Jesus, supposedly that has made its way through the centuries and is housed in a church, that you will be healed. Touching things that are so-called religious do not heal. As we're going to find out very clearly, the Bible tells us it is her faith that heals her. And so if you're familiar with the procession of the black Nazarene that happened a few weeks ago, those people believe that somehow if you can grab onto one of the handkerchiefs or one of the, the, the rags or pieces of cloth that has touched that statue of blackened Jesus, that it has miraculous properties. Unfortunately, the Bible never teaches that. Her expression of faith, this woman's expression of faith, comes from her simple, naive faith. Perhaps a bit superstitious for some of you, but God used her action to reveal a greater glory. She didn't know that was a proper expression of faith, only that she was desperate and she was looking for someone who would heal her. We're going to see again very clearly that it was not the act of touching the garments of Jesus that healed her. It was her simple faith. A faith that knew no proper protocol. She didn't know that she couldn't touch the clothes. She didn't know she had to make an appointment with Jesus. She didn't know that she had to sit down and have a long conversation with him. In her mind, there was one who could heal her, and she somehow needed to get close to him. And somehow she managed to touch the clothes, and she would be healed. And this is a picture of the lost. This is a picture of, of lots of people who, who are looking at the fringe of faith for something to grab onto. 
They don't know the great theologies of the Scriptures. They don't know the stories in the Bible. They don't know how they're supposed to act. Of course, we're to guide them and help them when they come to know Christ. That is the process called discipleship. But all the lost know is that they are in need and they need a Savior. And this is the type of faith that comes to know Christ. It's a faith that knows no protocol, a faith that simply yearns for one who can help them. How many of you know the song, Kumbaya? I'm sure you've sang it. Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. You guys know the song? It's often sung around the campfires, the Boy Scouts sing it, the Girl Scouts sing it, Kumbaya. And as you sing it, do you ever know what it means? Some of you are probably thinking it must be an African language. Kumbaya, it's actually English. That song traces its root to the deep south in the U.S. when landowners used to have slaves come from Africa. And there they were oppressed, and there they were subjugated to much torture. But you know, they had such a simple faith, and that's why the great Negro spirituals still resonate today. Words that are simple, tunes that are catchy, but with great profound messages. Kumbaya is one of them. Kumbaya simply means come by here. Come by here because of the deep Creole accent of southern Louisiana and the deep south. Come by here became kumbaya. And so if you know the song, it goes something like, Kumbaya, Lord, Kumbaya. Someone's praying, Lord, Kumbaya. Someone needs you, Lord, come by here. Hear me crying, Lord, come by here. Hear my praying, Lord, come by here. Such beautiful, sweet expressions of simple faith that speak from the heart the felt need and the real need of someone who is oppressed, someone who's crying out to God, and he simply says, or she simply cries out, Lord, come by here. And in these wonderful Negro spirituals come out the great theology that sometimes we often forget, that when we call upon the name of the Lord, he hears it and he comes. We don't have to approach God with such great verbosity or great eloquence of word. Dear Heavenly Father, great is your name. You are magnificent. We can approach him like that. But we can also say, Lord, come by here. I'm crying out to you. Come by here. Simple expressions of faith. No, no protocol. If Jairus and this woman knew Kumbaya, I bet you they would be singing it. Because it is what is being expressed in their acts of desperation. Well, look what happens, verse 45. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. When the woman touched Jesus' garment and was healed, Jesus looks around and asks his circle of protection, who touched me? All the disciples said, not us. They were thinking, Lord, we're doing our job. We're pushing those people away. It wasn't, it wasn't my defense that allowed someone to get through. But in reality, everyone was bumping into everyone else. Everyone was touching each other, and they were bumping into Jesus. 
And that's why Peter, the spokesperson, said, Master, a bit perhaps sarcastically, you're surrounded by people who are pushing and shoving. Many people touched you accidentally or intentionally. Many people bumped into you. He's, kind, he's almost implying, Lord, really? A bit crazy. Everyone's touching you. And then you shout out, who's touching me? But Jesus was very clear as to what he was referring to. He said, the one who touched me, who has resulted in my power expressing itself through the garment. Of course, he knew who this woman was, but he wanted to see if this woman would speak up. And so she did in verse 47. Look with me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. The woman identified herself, and the Bible says, with trembling and fear. She thought she had to get the permission of Jesus, presumably. And she told those who had gathered the reason she touched his garment. Now, I want you to stop here and ask yourself, what was her reason? The Bible never mentions the most important revelation. We want to know, why did this woman come and touch Jesus? And I believe Luke didn't have to write the reason. Why? Because it should be so obvious to the readers. The reason she touched Jesus' garment was to be healed. For sure she had heard the claims of Jesus, that he was the Son of God and God himself, that he had the power to heal and so in her desperation, she simply took him up on his claim. If you were to hear her explanation, if you were to hear her reason, her words may sound something like this. Well, you see, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, God himself, and he claimed to have the power to heal. He, had the, he claimed to have the power to, over all things. So I wanted to be healed, and so I sought him. And all was, I was able to do was touch his garment because of the crowds all around and I was healed you see this simple display of faith gives us our second principle number two a simple faith acknowledges Jesus' claim a simple faith acknowledges Jesus' claim that's what simple faith is that, that's, that's what faith is Truly believing what someone claims to be able to do. There is no great theology in this. Jesus is the Son of God, claims to have the power to heal. So if I believe in Him by faith, I will make the effort to go to Him. It is this type of faith that acknowledges Jesus' claim that saves us. Not the intellectual knowledge about Jesus and facts about Him. Facts about Him do not save us. It is a faith that he can save. So let me ask you the question, my friends. Do you take the claims of Jesus at face value? Do you have a simple faith that acknowledges Jesus' claim? And for those who are sinners, it's real simple. Do you believe that Jesus claimed to die in your place? And as the Son of God who died in your place, that by believing in him, you have eternal life. You don't have to try to use trickery or manipulation to get people to believe. Do not promise them things that the Bible never promises them. And we don't need to try to explain every theological nuance. We simply share the words of Jesus. He says, as we talked about last week, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection 
and the life. Do you believe the claims of Jesus, yes or no? It's as simple as that. Verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Note this. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What is the response of Jesus to her explanation? He says to this woman, be happy. It is faith that has made you well. Your, your simple faith, naive faith, your wanting to come and somehow associate with me has made you well. Not the act of touching the clothes or even the clothes itself. It is your faith. Now go in peace. A faith that acknowledges Jesus' claim, all of it. Now I want you to listen carefully. Jesus never claimed to solve all of your present problems as you would want it solved. Now, could he absolutely, I believe, and so should you, that when he claims he can do the impossible, he can. But just because he can claim that, and just because he can, doesn't mean it will always work out as you want it. Because Jesus does everything in accordance with his will. A few weeks ago, I was sharing at the Grace Christian High School chapels from grade 7 to grade 12, being the chaplain of the school. And I wanted to share with them a message uh, that showed them how they were to respond if sometimes God answers no. When you pray fervently and God tells you no, how are you supposed to respond? And so uh, in preparation for that, uh, I woke up earlier um, and got myself ready, and I was in the bathroom and uh, finishing up some um, morning texts. And as I was on my phone, something happened. I dropped it. Now, my, my phone is well protected. It's got the jelly case. It's got the tempered glass. Um, and, and, and it should have been well protected. But it must have just hit at that spot where it's most vulnerable. Because when I dropped it, I heard a crack. And it landed face down. I said, oh, no, Lord. You know I need this phone. Pastor needs his phone, lots of emails, lots of texts. I need to be able to communicate. I'm about to go to chapel. I don't have time to deal with this. And so, as I instinctively did, I, I prayed. Because if I were to ask you, can God fix cell phones? Sure he can. Sure he can. So I really believe he could fix cell phones. And I prayed, Lord, please, please. I heard a sound. It didn't sound good. But when I pick it up, could my phone be fixed? And you say, what a goofy prayer. Well, let me tell you, it's happened. I've spoken at conferences where my computer just wouldn't work. It was working, and then at that moment, it didn't work. Whether it's spiritual warfare or whatnot. But I prayed. I didn't lay hands on it or anything, but I just prayed, Lord, please, I need this computer to work. And I don't know what happened after the prayer. I started up again, it works. Maybe God fused some, 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 some electric circuits in there. I don't know, but it worked. So I know God can, can do things like that. So, Lord, I said, I need this phone. I don't have a spare. Uh, I need this phone. Well, after I prayed, I should have known the response because that morning my message was when God answers no. But I, I looked down and I, I picked it up and it was shattered. It was of no use. I don't know why it is that God has to teach me these lessons before I share the message, but anyway... 
I picked it up and I looked at the phone. And I said, Lord, of all things, really, really? And it is at that moment that your faith is most tested. Because we have a common problem in our Christian faith. And the common problem is we pray in faith, but we're really praying for a result, right? We're really praying by faith that God will give us a result that we want. And somehow if God doesn't give us a result that we want, we don't believe Him anymore. But faith is not based on results. Faith is based on the person and His claims. Could God have fixed my phone? Could He have prevented it from cracking? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I believe that. But He chose not to do it in that moment. And then I remembered the hundreds of times I've dropped that phone and it never broke. And here that one time it did. Who am I to say that in those hundred times where I dropped that phone from at a higher distance that God did not help save it? I hope you understand A simple faith acknowledges the claims of Jesus, what he's able to do, not the results. But we're so results-oriented that we base our faith based on the results, and that's wrong. And that sort of thinking is the reason so many people lose faith. So many people are discouraged because somehow God didn't answer a prayer according to their will. Now, while all of this is happening, have we forgotten someone? Yeah. We've forgotten poor Jairus. Here he was leading Jesus to his daughter on the verge of death. And of all time, Jesus stops and interacts with this woman. You know, his heart must have been racing. Hurry up, Jesus. My daughter is dying. She's only bleeding. Why don't you go heal my daughter first, and then you can come back and deal with her. Look what happens, verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Can you imagine when the father receives those words, how he must have been so crestfallen, how how he must have been so disheartened? Maybe he would have thought something like this, because I surely would. Jesus, I called you first. This woman was second. Right? I asked you to come to my house first. You delayed. This emotion must have just just bubbled up in his heart. But Jesus knew. And Jesus knew what he must have been going through. And so he said these words of encouragement, verse 50. When Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Note this, do not be afraid, only believe. And she will be made well. Jesus speaks directly to Jairus. And I love Jesus' response. Short, sweet, to the point. Without explaining anything or justifying anything, he spoke of assurance. Do not be afraid. He spoke of action. Just believe. He spoke of his ability. She will be made well. Now let me ask you this. Out of assurance, action, and ability... Which of those three is unique to Jesus? Assurance, action, or ability? You see, everyone can assure us with words. It will be okay. It will be fine. Everyone can call us to action. Go for it. Believe. 
But not everyone's ability is able to do what they say they can do. And it is the ability of Jesus, God himself, that is unique to him. Perhaps this example would help. You know I love sports. The more you are emotionally invested into a team, the more the outcome affects you. I love the Dallas Cowboys football team. And this year was the year they were supposed to go to the Super Bowl. Their motto was just believe. And I believed with them. It was a magical year. Two rookies at very important position playing lights out like mature players. They won games they weren't supposed to win. And all of Cowboy Nation just believed. They called us to action. Believe. And if you somehow that if I believe the team would win, the team would win. And it seemed like they did. The players assured us that they would play their best. Don't be afraid, they said. We've got things under control. Every team and athlete can only promise you those two things. They can assure you, and they can call you to action. But what is key, what is the most important, is the ability that backs those things up. They don't have that. That's why seemingly unbeatable teams have been beaten. So it was my Dallas Cowboys two weeks ago. They lost the game they were supposed to win in the last three seconds of the game. They were knocked out of the playoffs. I told my wife after that game, do not talk to me. I don't want anyone to talk to me today. I was so bummed. I had faith. This was their year. I was assured by these players that they would do their best, which they did, but they couldn't execute those last few seconds. And their ability was stymied. In contrast, look to Jesus. Jesus was confident in his ability as the Son of God and God himself. He called on Jairus to exhibit a simple faith that acknowledges his ability He told them to have an attitude that is one that is assured. Do not be afraid. He told them that you are to believe as a sense of action. But he spoke of his ability. She will be made well. You see, number three, a simple faith affirms the person's ability. A simple faith affirms Jesus's ability. It is the person's ability that is unique to Jesus. He is God. He can guarantee his own outcome because he is God. He is the only one that can affirm and assure because of his ability as God himself. Does your faith affirm the ability of Jesus Christ? You see, faith is not about being assured. We often think, I have greater faith than you, or my faith needs to be bigger But my emotional up and down doesn't seem to indicate that my faith is there. Faith is not necessarily how you are assured. Faith is not action in the sense that if I only believe more, I will have more faith. As if it's a sort of commodity that the more you have it, or the more you do it, the more you have it. The faith that you and I have, the depth of one's faith is how deep you believe in the ability of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, to help you through whatever you are going through. It is that type of faith 
that affirms His ability that will grow your faith deep. He guarantees His own outcome because He's God. I like the story told of a pastor, an elder, and a deacon. And they were in a rowboat in the middle of a fishing pond. Well, none of them had caught anything all morning. And so they'd been sitting in the boat for a while. And so the deacon stands up and says to the other two, I need to go to the bathroom. So he climbs out of the boat and walks on water to shore to the disbelief of the pastor. He comes back after 10 minutes later the same way, walking on water back to the boat. Then the elder decides that he needs to go to the bathroom. And so he also climbs out of the boat and walks on the water to shore. To the amazement of the pastor, he too comes back the same way 10 minutes later. The pastor looked at both of them and decides that his faith is stronger for sure than the elders and the deacons. And so he can walk on water as well. So he also needs to go to the bathroom. And so he stands up and excuses himself. And as he steps out off the boat to try to walk on water, he makes a big splash and falls into the water. At that point, the deacon looked at the elder and said, I suppose we should have told the pastor where the rocks were. It is in the foundation stones that affirms our words of assurances and ensures that our actions are confident. And in this example, Jesus walks on water and he doesn't need rocks. But we often forget the foundation of where our faith comes from. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And if that person is someone we know intimately, and if we simply believe in who he is and what he can do, then our faith will be strengthened. It is the ability of Jesus, the foundation stone of our faith. Verse 51. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Jesus had left the crowd outside. He wasn't going to heal Jairus' daughter in front of them. Only three disciples, perhaps the other nine, were playing crowd control, keeping the people outside. Look what happens, verse 52. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. There were some people in the house who ridiculed, mocked Jesus because they knew that Jairus' daughter was dead. But Jesus was sure in his ability. Verse 54, Then he put them all outside. He threw them all out, those who did not believe. And he took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she rose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Jesus commanded her to arise, and because of who he is and what he's able to do, she does. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone because they doubted his ability. You know, God loves men and women with simple faith that simply acknowledge the person of Jesus. Sometimes we, in the mature faith that we think we have, we over-explain and have to justify who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. It's as simple as that. And if He is God, He's able to do what He says He is able to do. 
And this is important when we come to salvation. Because the question we ask is, can Jesus Christ save sinners? Can His death in my place, and by believing in Him, give me eternal life? That is a question the world needs to have answered. The lost need to have that answered. The Christians need to have that affirmed and solidified in their mind. Yes, Jesus Christ saves sinners because He can die for the sins of mankind as God Himself. And He proved it by His resurrection. His resurrection, where He conquered death Himself through His own power, affirms that His death saves us. I hope you understand that. A simple truth that somehow we have muddled in the complexities of what we think faith is. A simple faith affirms Jesus' ability, and for the sinner, Jesus' ability to save sinners by his death. Let's not make reaching the loss more complicated than it is. Let us exemplify a simple faith that knows no protocol that simply acknowledges his claim and affirms his ability. And as we exemplify this to a world that is lost, they who are looking for a simple faith because their needs are so primitive, they need help. They're looking for someone who can help them. May they see our faith. And as the Holy Spirit moves in their heart, will they come to know faith as well? A simple faith that reminds us that we belong to Jesus. It should radically change the way we live our life as it changes the lives of others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these wonderful interactions with Jairus and this woman who was hemorrhaging. These two men and women exemplify a faith that is simple and direct something that many of us have forgotten. We have made complex what you desire to be simple. Give us all a childlike faith. Help us to believe that if the God of the universe can create such things of beauty and controls all nature, even holds our life in his hand, that if that is the God we affirm and that is the God we find peace and security in strengthen our faith not in the results but strengthen our faith through our intimate walk with you for those of us this morning who may not have a personal relationship with you who are still in the fringe of faith Lord would you work in their hearts that they would come to know Jesus Christ as the personal savior who died in their place and for those of us who are more mature of faith, may our mature journey of faith not cloud the simplicity which you desire. In Jesus' name we pray.